Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Awesome. Good morning, y'all. Y'all doing all right? I like that. Hey, yeah. Awesome. All right, so listen, over the past few days, I have been uh, just thinking about how when we reach this time of the year, uh, it's like our entire country changes. How many of you guys know that's true? It's like, man, it's like a, a switch is flipped in our brain. Uh, literally, from the, we, from the time we hit Thanksgiving all the way to the New Year's, it's like there's this complete obvious shift in our priorities and our focus. And, uh, and if we're being honest, at least I think, uh, about, you know, basically the month of December, really, uh, there's a lot of good things that happen, and there's also a lot of bad things that can happen during the month. And what I mean by that is this, is if we can just set aside all the obvious changes of the fact that we eat way too much and listen to different music and all those things, okay? But, but the reality is, is um, I, I think during the holiday season, people tend to be uh, more caring and more compassionate towards other, per- other people's needs than any other time in the year. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear that we uh, typically make a little bit more time to connect and engage with our families more than we do the rest of the time of the year. And also, you see people who just tend to be uh, more thoughtful, more generous with their time, if it's volunteering or with their money. And, and, and overall, at least in my experience, it seems like uh, people make it more of a point to be joyful this time of the year than any other time, right? If you're with me, say, oh, yeah, because y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. It's awesome. So, so that's a good thing. Now, I think at the same time, it's pretty amazing how uh, during this time of the year, there's also loads of people who uh, just get distracted. There are loads of people who, uh, you, you know, it's like they disconnect from really what matters and, and that people spend way too much money. Uh, people lose their mind and their manners when they're shopping. Uh, you know, I've seen how many people get selfish, man, they get greedy, they get envious. It's like this is supposed to be the most giving time of the year and they do the exact opposite. Uh, but, but maybe this is one that I want us to see the most. It's like during this month, it's like, man, how many people are isolated? They feel alone. Uh, they fight depression. They get angry. Uh, they struggle with regret. And uh, if you realize or not, this is the, the main month of the year where more people attempt and commit suicide than at any other point. And so I think we can all agree those are all really bad things. Now, I don't know about you, but something I think is crazy when I think about all that is how uh, basically how many people can, can lean on two different ends of the spectrum at the same moment. And so, um, you know, but once again, that happens every year. So, listen, in light of realizing that that's not only a national thing, but that also has the ability to happen within us. In other words, there's people in this room that are going to lean one way, and there's people in the room that are going to lean the other way. And what I want to do today is I actually want to share a few things with you that I hope will actually help us stay centered and stay focused on what's really important, not only during this season, but also any season that you find yourself in in life. And so uh, to accomplish that, what I actually want to do this morning is I want to share uh, basically a story out of the book of Luke with you. And, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and tell you, this is not intended to be a Christmas message. It's not that at all. Uh, Really, it is a message that I think that the Lord just simply wants to kind of go, you know, I'll do like this, you know, 
This is my daughter, by the way. So, uh, you, you know, li- listen, when, when I can't tell you how many times I remember, you know, when she's a kid, and obviously she's the oldest of all of our children, when they want our attention. In fact, stand up here and help me. It, it's so funny that, when you know, we're doing all kinds of other things, and, and there's been times where my children have done this to me. They'll, they'll literally grab my head and work with me. They'll grab my head, you know, and turn my head and go, basically, like, look at me. In focus. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anyway, so, so, so I kind of feel like that's what the Lord wants to do with us this morning. Like, man, your tendency is to get distracted this month. Your tendency is to go in all these thousand different ways. But if I can, let me grab you by the face and let me get your attention. In fact, I woke up the other morning and, and this portion of scripture was rolling around in my spirit. And, and as I just basically began to think about it, things that God showed me in the past, I realized that God was trying to get my attention and I knew he was trying to get our attention. So I just think, it, you know, once again, you've probably heard some of this before, uh, but it would behoove us to get, to get hungry, to open up our hearts and go, Holy Spirit, please speak to me today. I'm here to, to listen and encounter you. Amen. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today, God, that you are here to meet with us. Father, if we realize it or not, God, there's a divine appointment in the, in the moment today for each one of us. And so, Lord, I'm asking, God, in Jesus' name, that our eyes would be open, our hearts would be open, uh, God, to simply receive from heaven. And, Father, all the distractions, all the uh, just stuff that's going on, Father, all the things that would keep us from centering in, Father, I pray that all those things would just kind of be scooted to the side for a moment, God, and that you would literally grab us by the face and, and help us to look into your eyes and see you and to have a counter with you. And so, Father, Wake us up this morning. Father, help us to get hungry. Stir up our hunger so we can hear you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's begin to read. In fact, uh, if, if, you, if you're expecting there to be notes this morning, there's not going to be any. So if you have a Bible, I should have told you that earlier, or if you got uh, a uh, whatever a device, uh, flip on over to Luke chapter 2, please. Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read 41 through 50. I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to uh, do your little sword drill right there. I think that's what they call that. I wasn't saved as a child. So anyways, Luke 2.41. Luke 2.41. If you're there, say, oh yeah. yeah. Awesome. If you don't have a Bible, lean over to your neighbor. Bring it next week. Here we go, verse 41. It talks about Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. It says, when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Verse 45 says, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. It says, now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And it says in verse 49, and he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. All right, let's take the rest of our time today and let's just simply unpack this. Once again, I'm going to ask you to do your best to actually put yourself in this story so you can receive the lessons that God's wanting you to receive today. And uh, let me just say this. If you're a person here that's super theological, 
uh, if you can, just kind of throw that out the, the window for a moment. Um, not that I, I love theology, I love doctrine, uh, but just give me some grace. If you're a person here that's prone to legalism or been around legalism, it's not the heart. Just hear grace and hear the heart of God today, okay? Amen? Amen. All right, so let's circle back to the top. Verse 41 says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem. I'm going to highlight the next words. It says, according to the custom. Somebody say custom. It says, according to the custom of the feast. Now, the word custom there is actually defined as this, as a usual way of behaving or doing something, a usual way of doing something. In other words, when you actually begin to look in the scripture and just realize what's going on, what it's saying is, is that this 80-mile uh, trip from Galilee to Jerusalem that they took as a family to celebrate the Passover feast was a yearly routine. In other words, it was their custom. They had been doing this year after year. In fact, when you actually go back and look at Deuteronomy 16, 16, you'll find that this was just one of the three festivals that they would have attended that year. Because the Bible tells us this, once again in Deuteronomy, that all Jewish males were required by the law to attend the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of the Tabernacles, once again, on a yearly basis. So here's the point that I'm trying to make to you by saying all of that, is that while there are certainly varying opinions, if you read books, if you go online, there's varying, opinion, varying opinions from theologians concerning how many times Jesus had already been to Jerusalem by the age of 12. And that's not really the point, but the point is this, is that it's obviously, uh, you know, that we can be certain when we read this passage of Scripture that this wasn't Jesus' first trip that he ever took with his parents to Jerusalem, nor was it their first time that they traveled that long way back, that whole 80 miles all the way back home, so much so that Luke said that they went up to Jerusalem according to their custom, according to their, I use the word, routine, uh, because obviously that's what they were used to doing. So here's the question I have, and I just want to hopefully make this personal for a moment. Is, is have you ever noticed that when you do something again and again, it, it has a tendency to become just routine? Right? Like, and, and have you also noticed that when you've done something again and again, it's, it's not only easy to adopt a, a been there, done that kind of attitude, but it's also easy to start going through, keyword, just going through the motions while you're doing it. Like, like take anything in life. Remember the first time that you tried to do something and how you had to concentrate and focus second time, third time, fourth time, and then you're just like, oh, I got this. Anybody ever been there? So obviously this can happen with just about anything in life. You, you know, in other words, what was once new and exciting over time, it can become, you know, well, basically just no longer new and exciting. In other words, it, the, the shine wears off, right? It becomes a routine. So for an example, once again, just try to get us thinking, uh, you, you know, how many times does that happen with a job, right? We got a new job. We were excited about it, pumped about it. Fantastic opportunity. You've been there six months. You're like, oh, God, I got to go there again. Right? But how many times do you go, woo, it's a new school year, I'm going to high school, I'm going to whatever, and then after a month, you're like, I hate this place. Right? So the same thing can happen, you know, if it's a sports practice, if it's a, uh, you know, musical practice, if it's a hobby, if it's a family gathering. Like, I think it's so funny how many people, like, over the next month will go spend time with family. They're all super pumped, super excited to get together with family, and after about three hours, they're like, let's go home. Right? It wears off its shine quickly. And I'll say it this way. It may be really important for today is it can happen relationally. In other words, uh, you know, think back to the first time for you guys that are married. The first time you laid eyes on the person you're now married to. First month, second month. You're getting married. Like, oh, 
right? And now it's just like, oh, it's you again. Can you pick up your underwear? Thanks. Right? And so anyways, it just, once again, it can happen, right? It just comes routine. We go through the motions. And, and so I, I want to say this, as much as you and I may not want to admit it, it can even happen in our walk with God, right? Like, I think we all understand that, right? Like, we, you know, there was a time, and, and you know, r- really for shooting straight, uh, so often our walk with God tends to be like this, right? And it's up on these moments where we're here, it's like, man, our devotion times are exciting, right? That, that there's a worship song that touches our heart, we start crying, right? Our prayer's just like, man, like God's moving, right? We read the Bible and it explodes, and then there's those times where it's like this, Man, that song doesn't move me anymore. Man, I'm reading the Bible and it feels like a chore. My prayers are flat, right? And my devotion time is just, ugh, I just got to go do it, right? Anybody ever been there? Come on, half of you lying like this. It's, li- listen, guys, it's not that hard to do this. It's, it, you can do it. It's freeing, I'm telling you. It'll help you. All right, here we go. So anyways, I, I'll just say it this way, that not only does it happen in our personal lives like that, but how many of you guys know it's really easy to even get to the point where we get stuck in a routine Sunday after Sunday where we just find ourselves going through the motions of, oh, it's just church again. I said it was for you today. Listen, how many times have we found ourselves just going through the motions in life? Spiritual, not spiritual. Man, more times than we probably even recognize so, listen, I just kind of expect here, and I could be wrong, but, but I just kind of suspect, and say the right word, that this is what was happening with Joseph and Mary in Luke chapter 2. Meaning that they have taken this round trip back, you know, basically from Galilee to Jerusalem and back home so many times that they were just kind of going through the motions, right? It, it's like I can kind of see it. Once again, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, you know, here they are for the Passover feast. I'm sure there were some cool parts, but, but more than likely, they're like, been there. Heard this, done that, I'm bored, right? And, and while they're, you know, sitting there in Jerusalem, it's like I can see Joseph. He's like, when's this rabbi going to get done? Don't act like y'all ain't ever done that. <laughs> Here's the truth, because I see you do it. Actually, what I see y'all do here is this. Because y'all want to look at that TV, right? How much longer? He's in the red. Does he know he's in the red? All right. I know when I get in the red. Anyways, so, so I, and I see them, you know, uh, you know, basically him going like, when are we going to get done? Because us dudes, we tend to be way more impatient than women. Uh, but I also see Mary, like, man, trying to go through her normal routine. It's like she's trying to just keep the kids entertained, right? Let, like, you know, whatever. Pay attention. Shut up. Don't talk. Don't fight. Don't hit your brother. Don't do what, you know, whatever. And, of course, you got Jesus in there. Right? And then you got all the rest of the rugrats doing the deal, right? Anyways, so at least why I see it. And so I can kind of finally see it, man, when it's, okay, rabbi wraps up, they do their last things. Uh, you know, there's just kind of like relief on their face. Man, they feel like, you know, they've been drugged through a knot hole, they're just tired. And they just kind of look at each other and go, whew, it's over. Let's go home. Right? And so from that point on, it's just kind of one foot in front of the other. Why? Because it was according to their custom. But I want you to notice something today. It's the reason I'm bringing this up. It's because when you and I uh, actually make the mistake of allowing ourselves just go through the motions, uh, a really dangerous thing can happen, especially when it's with Jesus. And I want you to see this in verse 43. We'll read it again. Um, It says, when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. Now pay attention to the next sentence because this is where the entire story transitions, it pivots, and it flips with one striking statement. It says this, that the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother 
did not know it. Yeah. Let me say it to you this way. I don't know why I'm going to say that she's not here so I can say it. Um, last year, uh, I, think it was, I think it was last year, uh, basically after church on a Sunday, uh, my wife went home. I was still here. And so when she got home, uh, she bailed out. All the other kids bailed out uh, except my little guy. And the reason he didn't bail out is because he was strapped into his seat. Right, and so everybody's in the house and they're doing their thing. Jen's fixing, uh, you know, lunch and doing that. They're all talking. And after about thirty minutes, she goes, "Has anybody seen Luke?" Had seen him. Had seen him. Had seen him. Well, come to find out, my dude was in the car screaming his head off because he got left in the car and nobody knew it. What a bad mom. I know. Y'all should bring that up. She loves it. It's awesome. Anyway, so she loves it. So, so not the only one, right? It happens. All right. I one time left Michaela in the car on purpose to teach her a lesson. I did. It worked, too. Anyways, so, but watch this. So I can vividly remember, okay, uh, years ago when the Holy Spirit began to speak to me out of this story. And basically what he did in that moment is he began to compare Jerusalem to our weekly church gatherings. And, and then he showed me how we can actually get in this rut, start going through the motions, right? So much so that we actually, watch this, that we can lose Jesus at church. I know it's such a weird thought, right? But it, here's what I mean. is As Christians, we can get so caught up in the weekly routine. We come through the door, we shake a few hands, we smile, <clears throat> greet people, right? We, we find our seat where we're normally used to sitting. Uh, we sing a few songs, we say a prayer, we listen to a sermon, we look at our watches, right? Just because all that's our custom, it's our routine. We just simply go through the motions. We sing it, sound, and we do it, right? Yes. Listen, all the while not realizing... That what? That we've forgotten the real reason of why we came. Right? It's to honor Him. It's to worship Him. Right? It's to learn from Him. It's to encounter Him. To hear His voice. It's all about Him. Like, that's the reason we're here. If Jesus doesn't show up, let's go home. Amen? So, so listen. But the crazy part is, is this forgetting has caused too many Christians to lose sight of a key thing. It's called His manifested presence. To the point that it isn't, that listen, he isn't even in their midst, right? Now, I'm not talking about, once again, theological, omnipresent. He'll never leave us for forsaken. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this physical manifested presence. And like Joseph and Mary, what happens is, is I'll say it this way. There's thousands and thousands of people in church right now across America. And guess what? The manifested presence isn't there. And like Joseph and Mary, they don't even know it. They're just going through a routine. That's scary. Yes? I don't know about you, but I've encountered God way too many times to live a life like that. Amen? Listen, I think it's because of that reality, that prevailing reality that's in our nation. Uh, years ago, an Episcopal minister actually shocked a whole lot of Christians when he said this on a national broadcast. Please listen to what he said. He said, if the Holy Spirit were totally withdrawn from the church today, 90% of the work of the church would go on as if nothing had happened. That's a damning statement. Yes, that's scary. That scares me. Right? Like, like if God lifted his hand off of us, you know, how, how far would we just keep on cruising as if 
nothing happened and we didn't even know it. Right? Because our, we're just doing our programming. Right? See, see, the statement tells me that God can be absent and never missed. Right? By us who are in church who say we love him. Because why? Because we're too caught up in a familiar routine. Right? So, so listen, let me maybe say this. We're going to shift gears. While that's definitely important, and I think we all need to hear that this morning. We all need a heart check to go, am I just going through the routine today? Or am I here for the right reason? Like, good heart check, right? And that can't be overstated enough. But the, really, the real part that I feel like I need uh, to share with you today, that I feel compelled by the Lord to share with you is this. And I've said it to you before, but it's this. Is did you know that the same thing can happen in our personal lives too? Listen, Christian. Truth be told, there's loads of us, right, who are living our lives. We're going through our daily routines completely unaware that God's touch and his manifested presence isn't on our lives. We think we got it. Right? Are y'all here? So, so with that said, let me make another comment. Because the longer I pastor and the longer I'm with, around people who are believers, because I didn't grow up in church. I dove bombed in and, and I just went after Jesus, right? And Jesus met me there and it was amazing, okay? And, and it just keeps getting more better. Okay, it's, it's good. Uh, but but here's, what, here's what I didn't recognize at first, and I've come to recognize over all these years. And, and once again, this may sound strong to some, but, but, but how many of you know that we cannot really discern God's absence until we have first experienced his presence? Right? Like, that's so simple. And, but once again, unfortunately, over the years, what I've learned is that there's a lot of good-hearted Christians who are on their way to heaven. That's not in doubt but they have not really experienced the manifested presence of God ever in their lives. So watch this. Therefore, they ha you know, it's this. They have no clue what is really meant when someone like this comes along and says, hey, God's absent from your life. Y'all hear me? So li listen, in fact, it it's so funny. It's like I've had conversations with people, if it, you know, in my office, if it, if whatever, you know, different, different places. And when we start talking about things along these lines, it's amazing how many people have looked at me like I got two heads and 40 eyes over the years. I think I'm crazy, right? And, uh, and I think it's this. is The reason is, is because it doesn't compute with so many believers because to them, it's like Christianity starts and stops with salvation. But I'm not talking about salvation here, right? I'm not talking about the omnipresence of God. I'm talking about walking with him and knowing him, right? So, so listen, I, I understand that Part of the disconnect, part of the confusion that happens in those conversations is because it's really, really hard uh, to find language to describe the presence of God. Like, that's difficult. Like, like times where you know that you know that you know that, man, God is so, so in the place, the last thing you want to do is move because you don't want to mess it up. It's hard to describe that moment to people. Right? It's, it's like the manifest presence of God, if I can say it this way, is greater than any words we could ever use to try to describe it. That's true. Okay, but the simple point I want to make here is this. is once again, it's impossible to miss his presence if you've never experienced it before. Like, you know, you might as well be talking Chinese, right? Listen, I, I just want to say this, um, and this is a real poor attempt, and I'm sure there's a much better way to do what I'm about to do. Um, as I was preparing this, I'm like, okay, God, 
you know, are there any like uh, practical indicators that I can maybe convey to just anybody that to go, to go oh, okay, I can see uh, when God's maybe absent in an area of my life and I didn't know it. And, and so if I could just kind of rattle down a list to you, because these are things that came to me, and I, you know, I'm thinking about conversations, I'm thinking about myself, but, but just kind of show us when, when we're maybe not as connected as we need to be, right? So uh, here's what a person learned, is that we, when we begin to fall prey to emotions like anxiety and fear and worry, like, man, I've met so many Christians, like, that's like the predominant emotion in their life, fear, worry, right, anxiety. Or, or like, how about this? And, and this is really, for me, it's a barometer. I go, man, when I get easily angered or I'm easily irritated, I know in my own heart I'm not connected like I should be, right? It's like even this. It's like, uh, for me, when I begin to get loose with my words, and I begin to pay attention and go, man, I'm talking really negative right now, right? I, I've said things that are hurtful to my wife, hurtful to my kids, or maybe I'm being sarcastic to people, right? In spite of the fact that it's funny, the reality is, is I'm disconnected at the moment, right? It's like when we begin to do this, especially for an extroverted person, when you're talking more than you're listening, like that's a sign when you feel like you always got to be the one that says something, right? And I've been there. Or how about this, like when you complain and when you criticize others, or how about when confusion comes and it clouds your mind? Anybody ever been there? How about this, when you fall into self-pity and you just want everybody to notice you? Then on the flip side, when you feel really good about yourself and you just get super self-righteous, like you're the stuff. Like I'm convinced that uh, a lot of us, uh, probably me included, that there's times where we think we know God better than what we really do. Right? Or how about this? And, and this happens to me. I don't know if it happens to you, but when insecurities start to rule our thinking and our doing more than we would like to admit, right? Or how about when we become defensive or we are constantly searching and looking for the approval of man or when we start pointing the finger because it's got to be somebody else's fault, so I need to blame them. Am I talking to anybody? How about when we begin to operate from a victim mentality or when we think, okay, we, we find ourselves start trying to manipulate and control people, right? If I can just say it this way, I know that's a lot of things, and I could give you probably triple that, but the reality is, is every single one of those are just simply indicators that we're not connected like we should be, or that, that God is absent in the area of our lives, and a lot of times I think when we're living like that, we become accustomed to that. When, when that becomes our routine, uh, a lot of times we don't even know that he's disconnected in our lives. Great place to say amen. All right, if I could take this a step further. Um, I think maybe the most important question I could ask all of us today is this, is, is do we know how this disconnect happens? Like, do we know? I, th this is probably uh, the best thing I'm going to tell you all day, not because it's some great moment. It's just the heart of, man, this is just truth, right? Watch what happens when we make the same mistake of Joseph and Mary. This is how the disconnect happens. Once again, verse 43. It says, when they had finished the days and they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. Joseph and his mother did not know it. Here's the mistake. Verse 44. But supposing, the word supposing means presuming. By presuming him to have been in their company. You see, the word presume means this. It means to take for granted or to assume something to be true without the evidence. In other words, here's what I'm trying to get at. It's when we read verses 43 and 44, 
it's like we, we have a glimpse. It's going to be so cheesy. But we have this glimpse. It's like go all the way back 2,000 years ago. And this was the original Home Alone 1 and 2 moment. <laughs> but only in reverse. Right? And here's, what, here's why I say this. Because as far as Joseph and Mary were concerned, it was time to go home. Right? So in the midst of all the crowds, you got to understand there wasn't like just their family in Jerusalem. But there was thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem. And when the rabbi said, Shalom. Right? Shalom, amen, whatever he says, right? And he released everybody. Guess what? Everybody was ready to go home, right? Some people, I'm sure, lingered, hung out. But most people hit the road just trying to get back to where they came from. And so in the midst of all of that, it seems like Joseph and Mary forgot to count their kids, right? That in the midst of all that, uh, you know, nobody laid eyes on Jesus. Now, I think it's really easy for you guys that got one kid, uh, you know, to judge all the rest of us here. It's easy to go, yep, there's Jimmy. One, boom, there we go. We got it. But when you got a multitude of kids like I got, right, and you run with the people we run with, and there's like, I don't know, a thousand kids around, they're all about the same size, you're just doing your best to try to remember what they wore that morning, right? Like, what did they have on, right? You're looking, one, two, three, four, five, and I feel sorry for you. Y'all got, y'all got nine? Nine children, that makes it even harder. Special grace to those guys, right? So, so, so I just think it's this. Here's my point. is Whatever the case might have been is they clearly took it for granted that Jesus was with them. And by doing so, they made the mistake of presuming that Jesus, don't miss this, would just adjust to their thinking and plans. Right? Because, because why? After all, as you know, they were the parents. They were in charge. Surely Jesus understood that. And so Joseph and Mary, they started that long track, that long you know, routine, going home, back as usual, right? Completely unaware that Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. So if I can make this maybe a little bit more personal here too. Um, because I want to show you how we make the mistake. I recently read a story about this um, pastor from Kentucky. And uh, he was pastoring this church and it wasn't going really well. He was struggling and, uh, and truth is that he didn't want to be there. He's like, I'm done with this joint. And, and out of nowhere, literally out of the blue, this man got a call from a church in Hawaii. Okay? And they called and they said, hey, we want you to become, come and be our pastor. Now watch this. After he got on the phone, he actually told his wife, you pack while I pray about it. Now, how many guys know you pack means we're out the door, right? It's like clearly this guy had already made up his decision really before those people even called. He was ready to go. So here's why I want to say this, and this is why we, I titled this this. But, but listen, that is the danger of presumption. And what I mean by that is how many of you know it's extremely hard to seek the mind of the Lord, to seek the heart of the Lord on something when our minds are already made up? Right? And see, that's what was happening. They had their mind already made. It's time to go home. They never, they never stopped long enough to check with Jesus because Jesus had a different connection than they had. Why did Jesus stay in Jerusalem? It's because the Father told him to stay. Right? And if I can maybe say this, and we'll get back on track here in a second, but, but it's like this. It's like how many times in our life have we not checked in and we just went on and did our thing? And if we would actually stayed, because truth is, is some of us have moved on before the Lord was finished doing what he wanted to do many times in our life. We've all done it, right? God begins to work a process in us, and we just get tired of it, and we get in a hurry. We get, we're impatient, and we decide it's time to move on to something else. We're bored with that. And we shortchange the process. 
Yeah? And, and so how many of you guys know that if Jesus wants you to stay somewhere a little longer, it's probably for your benefit? Right? He might know what he's doing. I've told you all a hundred times, he, if he knows where he's taking you, then he probably knows what you're going to need when you get there. And half the time we're showing up and we don't even have the stuff we need because we didn't stay long enough to get what we need. And so we're ineffective in that season in our life when God had something completely different for us. Don't shout me down. So I just think this. The reason so many of us do that is because we're not truly open to hearing what he might say. It's like we become so worried, and you've been there, I've been there, that he might actually say something different than what we want to hear. And because we're afraid he's going to say something different than what we want to hear, because our minds are made up, what we want to do, we don't really seek him with a surrendered and obedient heart. Uh, what we do instead is we throw up a few token prayers, we slap that old God told me, right, stamp of approval on it, and uh, you know, when he really didn't, right, and the reason we do that is because this is partially because we're trying to convince ourselves that God said it. He's given us what we want. And the other side is this because we're trying to convince everybody else because we're not humble enough to actually have a submitted heart to actually listen to wise counsel. And if we go, if I can tell them God said, then they'll leave me alone and they'll let me do it. Listen, I've been doing this a long time. And I'm telling you all, if somebody comes to my office and they say this, well, God said this, then I'm out. What, what, I'm literally, why are you here then? Right? Like, like those, God said, three minutes in the conversation, well, we're done. Who am I to argue with God? Now, here's the truth. I could tell you a high percentage of the time, maybe I shouldn't say that part. <laughs> Sometimes, there we go, I know in my heart that I wasn't Jesus talking to him. But what can I say? They really don't want to hear what I have to say. They just want me to approve what they're doing. They want me to bless it. And there's been times because I'm not that guy, I'll go, you know what? Can't bless you. I don't agree with it. Right? It's not because I know everything, but man, I know Jesus enough and I got enough discernment to know when something doesn't settle. And I'm, and I'm never going to violate that. You know, am I making any sense? So, you know, uh, maybe just a side note, a word of wisdom is this. There's been times in my life, I wasn't planning on saying any of this. Um, there's been times in my life where I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew God spoke to me. And I would go to someone that I have a relationship with, that I trusted the relationship with the Lord. I've done this many times over 20 plus years. And I've said this, here's what I think. I don't say God said, here's what's in my heart. And I look for a confirming word from that individual versus just some stamp of approval. I have, I have literally, you know, listen, before I came here to this church, I sat down with my pastor and I said, but I said, this is what I think. But if it does not bear witness with you, I will not go. Because I, here's the thing, I have to trust my leadership's ability to hear from God. Right? And, you know, God called me to serve that man. And I was going to serve until the Lord said, you know what, your time's up. I wasn't going to shortchange it. I knew I was leaving for three years. Three years, y'all. Three years. It was a long three years. But it was an incredible three years because I learned some amazing things in the middle of the process. And part of it is I learned how to submit my heart and my life and my family's life and my livelihood to a man. <laughs> right? It creates a whole other level of humility that we need in the kingdom. 
Hopefully that makes sense. That was for free. All right. So I just think this. Like Joseph and Mary and that pastor from Kentucky, uh, man, when our minds are all made up, it's like we proceed forward whatever we want. Just once again, here's the danger of a presumption is we presume that his anointing, that his presence, his favor, his blessing goes with us. Right? Like he's going to go with us in the process. And it's like this. Here's, here's what I am hearing from this new upcoming generation in the church, and it scares the mess out of me. Here's what, because it's being taught from pulpits, and it's wrong. It's this. God loves you so much, he'll adjust to your plans. Right? So I just think we need to remember this. Yeah, y'all listen to the message of grace. It's all up in it. I believe in grace, love grace, but it's there. Listen, we need to remember what the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. What does it mean? It doesn't produce the life of God in you or in your life, right? Your mind's made up. I'm just going to run the course. I'm going to do what I want. And guess what? Five years later, it ain't nothing good's come out of it because you really didn't hear from him. Y'all hear me today? So listen, I think we typically fall into that there's a way that seems right to man trap when we allow ourselves to become over-familiar with God. What I mean by that is we think that we got a handle on how he thinks and a handle of how he moves. So rather than actually stopping and checking with him, we just assume that what he would do, right? Well, here's what he would do because this is the way he's done it in the past. And if I can just kind of throw a thought out there to you, and it's this, is if we can actually remember from this story that it's possible that this was Jesus, we'll just say his 12th time, for safe number, 12th time to Jerusalem. Well, guess what? 11 times before that, nothing happened. He just made his way back home with mom and dad. He just went with the routine. But, but here's this last time, guess what? They, they went the routine expecting that it was just going to happen like it has in the past, and he wasn't with them. And so what's the point that I'm trying to make is this, is just because Jesus has done something for you know, a certain way in your life for years and years and years, uh, don't make the mistake of just assuming that he's going to do it that way again. Here's the truth, though, and if there's a little hidden nugget in this portion of Scripture is this, is that when we typically get there where we just start assuming what God's going to do and we don't ever check in him, we just do what we think, right? Is that's typically when God hides from us. And then we got to seek him and find him and find how he's moving now in this season in our lives, right? So, listen, before we go any further, let me, let me actually circle back and address that. God loves us so much, he'll just adjust to us. And I think this may be a really poor description, but it's the only way I really know how to give it to you. Um, for, for you guys that are like 40 and above in the room, okay, uh, because people under that may not understand this, okay, but, but how many of you guys remember uh, taking a road trip, like a long road trip, before we had GPS? <laughs> Told you I was going to talk to the old folks. All right, so, so do you guys remember what we actually used before we had a phone or something actually tell us? Uh, turn right in 100 feet, right? Like, like before we had that. What did we use, guys? Uh, say it. A map. Holy smokes. Um, we used a map, right? Now, now this may once again sound silly, but, but listen, I can remember times, um, and maybe you can too, where, where I was on long road trips, and I was started going down an unfamiliar road to me, and there was times where I missed the road, and I got lost, or I would hit construction, and they would reroute us some way, 
and, and, and listen, I'd be on a more unfamiliar road, you know, literally in dark, don't have a clue where I'm at. And, and here's the thing. Did you ever notice, if you've ever had one of those moments, that your de destination never suddenly moved to where you were? How dare it, right? Like it never moved for me, right? And, and so, listen, I, you know, what did I do in those moments? I'd have to, what, pull off the side of the road. I'd pull out that map that was about the size of the car itself, right? I had a little Honda Civic, right? So it was big. Anyways, so I'd pull out that thing, and I had to figure out where in the world am I even at, right? Like I got no clue. And then I'd have to carefully begin to plot out my course, and I would begin to adjust my plan to the directions on the map before I could actually reach my destination, yeah. right? Like, Old school thinking right there, right? So, so I want you to know the same goes for God. It doesn't matter how mature we think we are in the faith. It doesn't matter how long you've driven a car, right? So it doesn't matter how long you, you know, you've been walking with Jesus. We need to remember that he will never adjust his plans for us. He's not going to do it for you. He's not going to do it for me. He's not going to do it for anyone. He's God, not us. Amen. He's the God that doesn't change. We change, Right? And so, listen, we need to realize that when we get off track with God, because we're all going to do it, is what's going to happen is we need to have the courage and the humility to adjust to Him, right? And His ways as quickly as possible. And that's what those guys did. Can I give you a, like a scripture that kind of comes to my mind here? Say yeah, because I'm going to do it anyways. All right, here we go. So, uh, anyways, when I was reading this scripture, came Exodus 40, verse 36, 38. Exodus 40, 36, 38. I'll say it for you guys that are taking notes. It says, now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel were set out on their journey, following it. Get that? Following it. Following it. It says, but if the cloud did not rise or did not move, they remained where they were until it lifted. And then it says, the cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so that the whole family of Israel could see it. And notice this last part. It says this, that cloud interaction continued throughout all their journeys. In other words, it didn't stop, right? So here's what I want us to notice. I want us to notice how Israel was actually locked into this direct guidance from God. Do, do we realize today that God's not in the cosmos totally disconnected from us? Like, or do we understand that, man, God is in us. He's made his home in us, and he wants to be actively involved and actually engaged in our everyday lives. And I'm not saying we get weird and ask the Lord if you can brush your teeth. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's things in life like, Lord, what do you have for today? Right? That we stop, pause, wait, here, right? And, and so, listen, it's in the same way we look at the, the Israelites here that they could only move when the cloud lifted. If the cloud did not lift, what happened? They stayed. Once again, no matter how beautiful the area was, you know, that they were in was, or no matter how distasteful it was, listen, those guys could not move unless the cloud moved. The cloud didn't move. They had to stay put until they were released to move on, right? Why is that? Once again, because the cloud did not adjust to the Israelites. They had to adjust to the cloud. Once again, the same goes for you and I. There's a cloud, amen? So, listen, in spite of... Uh, of this, listen, I have met many, many Christians over the year that I would say this. They're totally unaware. I'm, I'm just going to use the term. Obviously, we're not going outside following the cloud. But, but, but people aren't aware that there's a cloud, that there's this direct guidance from God that he wants in our lives. And I've also met a number of people, and I'm saying this, I don't know why, but if it lands, let it land, is that there's been many, many people that I've met over the years that the cloud moved years ago, and they're still stuck. In fact, they've built an altar to a previous cloud moment with the Lord 23 years ago where they encountered him, and they refused to get moving where God's wanting to do something. They're stuck in a season and everything. That's all it is. They're consumed by one revelation. They're consumed by one type of ministry. They're just consumed. 
And they understand that, hey, maybe God wants us to go this way. They're missing a cloud. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. yeah. So what I'm getting at is this, and we'll shift gears, is that you and I don't need to make the mistake of presuming that God's just with us, that we're going to do whatever we want, and he'll just tag along. We follow him. He doesn't follow us, right? And we don't need, don't need to make the mistake of thinking that he's going to adjust his plans to ours because it doesn't work that way. Let's go back to the story. Watch this. It says, once again, when they had finished the days, they returned. The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him had been in their company, they went a day's journey, watch this, and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Listen, Luke does not tell us how many people uh, were actually, you know, there in their group. In other words, I don't know if it was 50 people, if it was 100 people, if it was 300 people that were moving and going back uh, to their hometown. I, I don't know. Uh, nor does he say this. Nor does he tell us when Joseph and Mary had their, once again, back to the home alone analogy, that Kevin moment, right? Like, Kevin, where's he at? Like, it doesn't tell us when they went, Jesus, right? Like, when did it happen? Uh, you know, maybe it happened when they stopped for... Uh, you know, to camp that night. Maybe it happened when they gathered for dinner. Uh, listen, I don't know, but I do know this, that that had to be a sobering moment, right? Like when they realized, watch this, that they lost the Son of God. <laughs> like, like there's times I think, I think the Lord's trusting me with a few things, but, but man, you're talking about trusting something. He, he's like, here's my son. Take care of him. I don't know where he went, Right? <laughs> bad moment right so but but I want us to notice that their first response I'm saying this just kind of helps somebody out that their first response when they realized that Jesus wasn't with them is that they immediately begin to try to find him among their relatives and their acquaintances and the reason I'm saying that is this is because I've witnessed over the years where people get off track with God uh, their first step isn't typically to go to God their trip their first step typically is let me go hang around people who know God and, and while that may be good and it might lead you a certain way, uh, I, I just have to tell you today that people are a poor substitute for the real thing, right? Because they, they cannot uh, be the connection to God for you, right? It, it's, it's like in the Catholic movement, we don't need a priest. Jesus is the high priest. I'm not saying slam that, but, but that's the connection. It's him, right? He tore the bell so we could come in, right, personally. And so... When we go back, I just say this. Don't, don't make that mistake. Verse, back to verse, 40, verse 45. It says, so when they did not find him among their relatives, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. If you can imagine this with me for a second. Um, as Joseph and Mary had that moment where they realized he is not physically with us. Not, oh, I, I just feel like he's not with us. No, no, no. He's physically not with us, Right? That, that those guys went into a panic. I could see them, uh, you know, searching for Jesus, like literally going to, if, if you can kind of imagine, like little fires where little families are gathering, preparing their meals, right? Like I feel like we're in the mountains, right? Like, every, like all the cooking groups are together. And, and, and he's like running to each group, right? Joseph is, have you seen my son? Have you seen my son? Have you seen my son? Now, how many of you guys know by the time that moment was over, he, he, he made it to every one of those groups, so guess what? The fact that he lost his son wasn't a secret. See, see, I say that to say this, is a lot of times we think that nobody notices. People notice when you're not connected. I'm telling you, my wife can tell you when I'm not connected. 
That's God honest truth. And I can tell you when she's not. We've been together way too long. I, I, we both know what it's like when, when, when the peace of God is settling on us and we're operating from the spot of connection versus when we are disconnected because we're in our flesh and we act a certain way. It, man, it's totally opposite. I don't know if it is for you, but it is for me. Amen? So, so you're not faking it with anybody, right? But, but going back to the story, like, like on one hand, I can see uh, just them struggling with feelings of embarrassment and the awkwardness of the moment. Um, ha- have you seen my child? Like, like, listen, we're not talking like you're in Hannaford's in the meat section and, and your kid's over in the fruit section checking out peaches, okay? No, no so they went a day's journey and their kid is in a city. Like, pardon, but an oh crap moment, right? Like, that's there, okay? And, and so, listen, but I can also see at the same time, how many of you guys know that if they've been spending all that time at the festivals going, you know, doing all those things, and then they walk in all that day, carrying their stuff, you know, handling all those kids and whatever. I, I just think by the end of the day, they were probably pretty tired. So now the fact that I have to shift gears and now try to go find a kid that's lost, that's not convenient, right? And I can also see at it this, it's like, um, <laughs> so goofy, but, but it's like they didn't go, okay, uh, last camp, Mary, I got the last camp, did you buy, no, okay, ah, oh well, let's cut our loss, let's move on. <laughs> Nor did it say, uh, you know, hey Mary, I, you know, I noticed over there with the, with the Smiths, I don't know a Hebrew last name at the moment, so anyways, uh, uh, over there, whatever, with the Merowitz, there we go, we'll go with that, the Merowitz family, you know, they have a 12-year-old son, he's pretty nice, maybe we can trade. <laughs> let, let, that sounds so dumb, I know, but it's like, but it's like, uh, that's not what happened. It's like, uh, they didn't let the embarrassment or the awkwardness or the inconvenience to stop them from seeking Jesus. Right? And at the same time, they didn't settle for less either. I'm saying that because so often we go, there's something in our hearts that wants to engage with God, right? Like uh, we're in worship and we want to respond to God in a certain way, but we're too embarrassed or it's too awkward for us to actually do something different than we've ever done, and so we just don't do it. Come on, church. Right? Or, or it's like this. It's like, how many times have we went, um, well, it's, I'll just settle for kind of where I'm at. Man, listen, as the church, we've settled from crumbs off the table for way too long. Man, there's a feast from the Son of God. That's already laid out for us, and he's given us. He died to give us a seat at that table, right? So quit selling for crumbs, amen? We're not beggars, amen? We're sons and daughters of the living God. Let's take our seat, amen? So, so I just think this. It's like, man, when we look, these guys wanted to find him, and that was all that mattered at that moment. That was it. we got to find Jesus. In fact, it reminds me of Song of Solomon, where, where basically the lover is trying to find their lover, and they said this. So I said to myself, I will get up and roam the city. I will search Jerusalem, searching all of its streets and squares. I will search for the one I love. Like, have you ever been that hungry and that desperate for God that you're like, man, I'm not going to stop until he comes? Man, there's been times I went through the prayer calls and it feels like, man, the heavens are brass and nothing's happening. And I've said, Jesus, I refuse to leave until you come. Yeah, that's how you find God. 
You don't find God by some five-minute quick little prayer. Okay, I did it. I feel my conscience is clear. No, 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 no. That's selling for less. I want the real thing. Amen? Go back to verse 46. It says this. So it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. It says, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his answers. That simply means their ability to put two and two together. Um, I, I just have two quick thoughts here, and, and we're going to land this thing. Um, the first one is this. Is, have you ever thought about what would happen if they didn't find him in three days? Like, would they have stopped? Would have been four days, five days, six days. There, there, there's that. I won't go there. It'll mess with some people. Um, the reason I want to say that is because I can't tell how many people over the years that I've seen that, um, let's, say, let's say this, because I'll give it to you in real time. I, I, I've seen people come in and they, they become friends with a group of people who in all reality are further along in Jesus than them. They're more mature in Jesus to them. They just, they just got more time. They, they, they've spent more time with God. Okay, and, and so what happens is, is because they don't get there to the same level in three days, then they give up. Or they settle for less. They get discouraged. They just, they just refuse to engage. They'll, what they'll, what, listen, what they will do if they, if they have enough fear of God and they just are like, you know, I still need to stay connected with God. They'll do this. You guys that are from Bible school, watch. I promise you it'll happen where you're at. People will go, okay, they're running with Jesus. They know Jesus. And when they feel like, once again, it's not happening quick enough, they'll go find their way to another group, even at a Bible school, who isn't as on fire, and they'll make their way there. They'll find a home there. Okay, well, we're good. Why? Because birds of a feather flock together. Listen, for years doing youth ministry, years, we could bring... Three, four youth groups together have hundreds of kids, and you could literally, I, I literally would sit back, 500 kids, and we would watch and go, okay, there's about 20 youth groups here, whatever, and just give it a single day. Before we get to dinner, we unload at 1 o'clock. Before you get to 5 o'clock dinner, the kids that love Jesus are together. The kids who are lukewarm are together. Kids are who are not interested and rebellious are together. It's amazing. Right? That's why I, uh, once again, side note, I'm saying loads of stuff wasn't what I'm saying. That's why I refuse to hang out with people that really just don't want him. Yeah? So, anyways, I think we need to remember this. If I could just insert a verse here. Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. We normally stop there. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What am I saying? Man, man when, you, when you realize that he's lost, how many of you guys know it's not going to be a casual, flippant thing that's going to find him? It's going to be a diligent heart that says, I will do whatever it takes till I find him because i got to meet him. Amen? So let me say this to you. There's a, a verse in Jeremiah 29, 13. It simply says this. You know, we read verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Yay, God's given us a future. We stop there. And, 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 and watch this, we go get a plaque, right? We, we, we get a little bookmark, whatever, that says the verse, yay, but we live and don't even know the purpose because we actually don't do what the next two verses say. It says this, it bases it, in fact, if you got your Bible, flip over there, we'll show you. Jeremiah 29, 13. 
If you brought your Bible, thank you for bringing it. What's the next verse? Go in verse 12. There's hell yeah. Awesome. So he says, plans give you hope in the future. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. That's incredible. God will listen to us. Watch this. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. In verse 14, I think is the greatest promise in the Bible. I will be found by you. Thank you, Jesus. Right there, we have a guarantee that if we diligently seek him, we will find him. That's great news. Amen? All right, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done, but let me finish this verse and ask you one question, and we'll, and we'll be done. It says this. It says, once again, his ability to put two and two together, verse 48, says, So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? That verse has always made me laugh, because I think it's so funny how many people get mad at God when they're disconnected like it's his fault, right? And they're blaming God. Silliness. How can you blame Jesus? Anyways, all right. So it says, look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And watch what Jesus said. And this is the question I want to end on today. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Have you ever stopped? In fact, let me just say it this way. Years ago when the scripture exploded in me, as I was reading, the Lord asked me. He said, Quentin, why do you seek me? And then he added... Uh, do you seek me for the same reason I want to be found? So many people come to church because they want to get better. They want to see their life improve, right? They want some problem to be fixed, right? And all that's fine, okay? Jesus, none of that offends him, okay? But, but listen, at the end of the day, the reason we come to God isn't even so much heaven. That's a benefit, we come to God so we can know him. We seek him to find him so we can know him and walk with him in an intimate way. And, and so if I can make that in a micro level for us, like do we read the Bible for the same reason he wants us to read the Bible? Do we worship for the same reason he wants us to worship? Do we pray for the same reason he wants us to pray? Once again, so often we pray because to us it's like a wishing well. That's not the purpose of prayer, right? It's to know him. In fact, the Bible says this, Jesus, quoting him, John 17, 3, says, For this is eternal life, so that you may know him who sent me. It's all about relationship, gang. And so to ask yourself today in a season where we're not celebrating so much, yeah, it's awesome to give gifts, it's awesome to receive gifts, but it's really, if we want to go back to the beginning, this whole thing is, the whole season is about acknowledging the fact that he loved us enough to come. To come. He seeked to save that which was lost. We were lost, not him. He came to find us because he wanted a relationship with us. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we, are we going about the, the, the motions with God and just saying, you know what, uh, I'm going to just think I can do whatever I want and he'll be with me. I think he'll just my plan. Are we going, no, 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 you're king. You're the master. My life is yours. What do you want? I just want to know you. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. 
Have a great week and God bless.